Amen. Let us let me pray for us. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful who have gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know if you can remember when Facebook first hit the airwaves. You know, it was a fascinating thing. And what was fascinating is how many friends we thought we could get, you know, uh, because literally you became friends at the click of a button, right? Well, I have to confess, uh, I've not really been on Facebook much in the last 15 months. Oh, I go there occasionally, and I know as a pastor of a church, I ought to be there a lot, and you know, talking to people and finding out what they're doing. I don't know if it's the political rancor of the year, of the year that we've had, um, the last five years, actually. Uh, it's, it's just left me feeling empty. And, and I, I told Stephanie, actually, yesterday, I said, you know, I just don't think I'm very humorous. And I think if I'm going to be on Facebook, I need to be humorous. I, I know that, you know. And this idea of becoming friends with somebody with the click of a button, whom I have no idea who they are from Adam's house cat. You know, that, uh, I don't know, it just sometimes feels a little shallow to me. Now, if you're friends with me, don't take that badly, okay, on Facebook. You know I love you. You know I love you. So, uh, anyway, I better qualify that. And if you're like me, you probably realized over the course of these last few months, during which we quarantined at home and experienced isolation, that your circle of friends has likely shrunk. The number of people you managed to stay in touch with has shrunk. So I want to give you permission right now not to feel guilty about that. We faced a lot in this last year. We faced a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, and nobody was free from it. I mean, those who lost family members certainly had the worst experience. But but we all suffered in some capacity because of the isolation, the distancing, the quarantining, and the fear of what might happen, right? It may have been that keeping up with a lot of people was just emotionally and physically draining. Or perhaps it was that because isolating with family and a small pot of friends was the only safe way to be in the world, that we grew distant from others. Now, I have to tell you that for pastors, this has been really difficult. Because part of our role is to keep up with people and to care for people. And I can't tell you the number of pastor meetings we've, I've been in where pastors have confessed that they just couldn't keep up. And they really struggled, and they wanted people to know they cared for them, but they were having difficulty staying in touch with everybody. Of course, I think we could say, all say, that by spending time with a more limited number of people, of friends, we may well have discovered something unique. And, and here's where I want us to flip this and say, it's not all bad news. You know, that by limiting our contacts with people, we were able to 
discover deeper, more meaningful relationships. And as we now move out of this pandemic, I believe this passage of Jesus speaking to his closest followers on the last night of his earthly life in what is now called the final discourse where he is speaking uh, a long, you know, several chapter uh, teaching to these followers. Um, that it, This passage offers us some guidance on how to reenter a fuller life without losing the intimacies we have discovered along the way. And as our circles broaden, isn't that what we want to happen? We don't want to lose the people we've grown closer to, but we, as we broaden our horizons, as we enter into more relationships with others, that we discover a deeper, more intimate kind of way of being together in the world. In this Bible reading, Jesus has just spoken to the disciples using the vine and branches metaphor. You remember that a few weeks ago? We talked about that metaphor, that that uh, God is the vine grower, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. And it's the branches that produce the fruit. We're the ones that get the opportunity to produce not just fruit, but good and lasting fruit. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you stay connected to me, you will bear much fruit. And in his last words to his followers, listen, these are his last words. Do you get that? He knows this is the last time with them. And in his last words, Jesus elaborates on just what sort of fruit he has in mind for us. What kind of fruit we are to bear. Now, I personally would like to bear big old bundles of grapes, but um, I don't think that's the kind of fruit he's talking about. God, through Jesus, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, wants us to bear fruit. And that this fruit are the works of love for the sake of joy. This is the primary fruit that Jesus wants us to bear. Love for the sake of joy. So let me ask you a question. If we were to take a poll today of everybody here and online, and I was to ask, um, what for you is the most important aspect of being a Christian? Some of us would say, well, faith which we know is not just about believing, but it's about trusting God. Faith is the most important dimension of a follower of Jesus' life and love. Others of us might say love. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And, and so faith and hope and love come into this the answer options, right? And love here doesn't mean just uh, feelings. The love of which uh, Jesus speaks is about agape love, sacrificial love, love that uh, does important things for others, uh, loves graciously and generously. Um, but for the writer of the Gospel of John, there is yet another higher aim that is the reason faith and love and hope have me. 
Jesus calls it complete joy. God wants us to have complete joy. This is the for what of God's love. Why do we love as God loves? For complete joy. This is the for what of Jesus' ministry. Why do we have faith and trust God and trust the work of Jesus for complete joy? Consequently, we might add that the for what consideration played out to its end is us. We are the for what. And we say that faith and love and hope for the sake of joy is not just about Jesus' ministry. It's about our ministry. It's about our lives and the ministry of the church. So this is broad reaching, right? For joy. Faith, yes, but faith for the sake of joy. Love, yes, but love for the sake of joy. Hope, yes, but hope for the sake of complete joy. Jesus says, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You hear that? This is tender. This is so deeply tender in these words. The words to the disciples, the words to you and me. Jesus is engaged here in an urgent pastoral care moment, assuring the followers that his imminent departure is not abandonment. We've said this before. We've talked about the final discourse and and that he is intent on ensuring that those who are following him know that his departure is not abandonment. Rather, it is so that they, and not just they, but all of us, you and me, can experience a deeper intimacy with God and with him with the coming of the Holy Spirit. You see, if Jesus only remains contained in a physical humanity, in the flesh, incarnate, his ministry is limited to the first century of Israel. But if he departs and ascends and enters into the life with God and sends the Holy Spirit, His very ministry transcends time and space. As the risen Christ, he becomes the third party at the table of the Trinity, and he transcends time and space, was there at the beginning, and will be there at the end. Now, consider this. What do we typically call a relationship characterized by this intersection of faith, love, hope, and joy? Well, if you were listening to the children's message, you know. It's friendship. What we hear today is that Jesus calls his followers friendship. Another note of assurance and consolation for those who are following him. I no longer call you servants, but rather friends. Jesus not only calls them friends, but teaches on the deep commitment of this friendship. I will lay down my life for my friends. This is what true friends do. They, lay, they set aside their lives in order for the friendship. And while Jesus mentions many essentials in John's gospel of things we need to attend to, abiding, dwelling, believing, trusting, and more, he gives them one teaching, one commandment, 
to love one another as I have loved you. So the emphasis in this passage on keeping commandments teaches that we should do nothing and follow no command that does not build up our neighbors in love, ourselves in love, and the world in love. Can you imagine if we thought about it that way? Anytime we had a thought about any kind of ministry, we would ask ourselves, is this loving them? You know, in, in the, in, since it's Pride Month, I'll just say this. You know, for, for years, a lot of churches said, well, you know, we love the sinner but hate the sin of being gay. But did they ever say, is that really loving them? Is that really loving them? And if we're not loving them fully, then we're not really followers of Jesus. And we need to be saying that about immigrants. We need to be asking ourselves that about immigrants, about our black siblings, about our Latinx siblings, about our Asian siblings, about all the diversity, the wonderful diversity of people God has created. And... We need to be asking that about creation. Is this loving what we're doing? Is it loving creation, God's creation? The very thing God spoke a word and brought into being. Well, I want to tell you this. this, I don't know that you fully grasp this friend language that Jesus is using here. But I'm going to tell you when it went aha to me. So I teach uh, periodically at... Uh, Perkins School of Theology at SMU and at Bright Divinity School. And uh, when I teach, students refer to me as Dr. Hudson or Dr. Joe. And at first that really made me kind of creepy crawly because I just prefer that people call me Joe. But after talking to some other professors, they said they need to call you Dr. Hudson, you know, or whatever. But, you know, there comes a time after you've been with students for a while and they have moved on and they're no longer in your class and they've graduated from Bright Divinity School or whatever, uh, that they, uh, that you drop the handles. And it's a movement toward friendship because now they have become more as colleagues to you. And I'll swear I can't get some of my students to drop the, the handles. <laughs> But can you imagine, Jesus basically said, let's drop this, I'm the teacher, you're the student. Let's drop this, I'm the master, you're the servant. Let's drop it. Because I have agape love for you as my friend. I I mean, it's just powerful beyond measure. The ancient Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu said that being deeply loved by someone gives you strength while loving someone deeply gives you courage. And I think that can be said of a lot of our relationships, but certainly about our friends. To love a friend deeply gives us strength, or to be loved by a friend deeply gives us strength. To love that friend deeply gives us courage. Jesus assures his disciples that his love doesn't depend on them, but rather they can depend on his love come what may. And the poignancy here, and therefore almost unbearable for them, is that they're not aware that by the end of this night, they will all, one will betray him, one will deny him, and they'll all run away. But Jesus says, I chose you, I chose you, and I commission you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last 
acts of faith and works of love for the sake of joy. What kind of joy? Well, Jesus evokes the delight in being together of genuine friendship. In our own best relationships, we can catch glimpses of what Jesus had in mind. And so think about for that for a moment, the friend that you have that brings great joy to you. And so it is important to add this love seeks a world in which this complete joy is not just for a privileged few, but for all. That's what we need to say. Of course, our lives don't live on a steady trajectory at all. So when our world gets all bent out of whack, and you know what I'm talking about, when things go awry and the wheels fall off, yeah, how do you find your way back to the joy? The writer Anne Lamont expresses what most Christians sooner or later experience. Lost lives become less lost and more found when we reconnect with each other. It's about connection and it's about belonging. And this is the work that the church does best. Helping people feel a place. Helping people have a job. Helping people find something that is greater than them. And as much as we need the presence of God, we also need the presence of God's people, right? We need people who know our names and shake our hands and come running when we're in pain. That will do whatever they can to make sure you're okay. My friend Zach Copeland uh, was a student at Texas A&M University when I was working there as an administrator. And and he came uh, when I was pastor at Friends Congregational Church in College Station. We did a stewardship program and he came as our guest steward to talk about, you know, being generous and being a generous person with the church. And in his speaking, his sermon, he's not a preacher, but he was preaching that day, certainly. He, he talked about his grandmother's death in her, in her 90s. His grandmother had a best friend who had, they'd been friends forever since childhood. And she was in her 90s as well. And uh, so they did the typical thing the church does. You know, you, you have a funeral and then you have a potluck. And that's the way it used to be. Now people have receptions or people over their home or whatever. But it used to be that you put your name on a casserole dish and on tape. And then you brought this casserole. And that's what you did after the funeral. And he said that his grandmother's best friend showed up with six deviled eggs. That's three eggs divided in half and made into deviled eggs. Because that's all she had. She gave all she had for this best friend. There are two things we all seek. It's to belong and for our lives to have meaning. So we need to ask ourselves, can we commit to this faith, hope, joy, love, or faith, hope, love, joy? (laughs) Can we live out what it means to be people committed to deep friendships? Because I'm convinced that this is Jesus, what Jesus would have us do. He said as much in this passage. 
And here's the assurance, because he said he would be with us. There's a story of a little boy and his father who found themselves far too early grieving the death of their mother and wife. The day of her funeral, that evening, they lay in bed together that night because they needed each other. As they both quietly wept in the darkness, a storm blew up, and with much wind, lightning, and thunder, the little boy finally turned to his father and said, Daddy, is your face turned toward me? His dad answered, Yes, son. My face is turned toward you. Why do you ask? And the boy said, Because if your face is turned toward me, I know I will be okay. Jesus has friended you and says, My face is turned toward you and will be turned toward you. So let us, the people of God called the New Church Casanova, friend each other, friend others, live fully, love extravagantly, so our joy may be made complete. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.